Good morning, and thank you for joining us on today's Ask the Expert program, Rethinking Plastic, How to Apply Your Knowledge of Brackets and Wires to Aligners, with Dr. Willie Dayan. Dr. William Dayan reached the level of Invisalign Elite Advantage Provider in 2005 and has been treating Invisalign patients since 2000. In addition to his full-time private practice in orthodontics, he's a guest lecturer at the University of Toronto Department of Orthodontics, the Toronto Academy of Cosmetic Dentistry, the Ontario Dental Association, and the Alpha Omega Dental Fraternity. He holds a DDS degree and a diploma in orthodontics from the University of Toronto. So I'd like to turn the program over to Dr. Dan. Dr. Dan, you now have the floor. Thank you, David, and welcome everybody to this Friday morning, probably for most of you and almost afternoon for some of us. I really thank you for taking this time with us today and to, to be personally honest with you, this is my most exciting ATE that I've done because I think this topic excites me much. As you can see, it's called Rethinking Plastic, How to Apply, I might call it, Our Knowledge, Your Knowledge of Brackets and Wires to Aligners. About the ideas you're going to be presented here, they are exactly what I do in my practice. I present them to you just as I do them and as I have been doing them for some 13 years or 11 years, 12 years with Invisalign and some 10 years before that with orthodontics. If there are any questions or if you'd like to make a comment, my email is here, drwillydayan at gmail.com, and I welcome your comments. This is my practice. I welcome you to come visit if you're ever going to be in Toronto, and I'd really enjoy your company. As you can see by one of the pictures here, we do use the iTero now, and I'm very excited about it, and it has made my Invisalign life, which is much of 90% of what I do life in my, in my workday, much smoother and better. When I want to introduce today's topic, I want to ask you to think about two questions. The first question is, what does that ClinCheck treatment plan really represent? When we look at those white images and pink gum tissue moving on a blue screen, is it a video of moving teeth? The next question we're going to also be asking ourselves throughout and then answering at the end is, what do I expect from myself as an orthodontist? To give you a hint of where we're going, when I look at the first question, my answer is I've never really received any teeth from a line. So that video can't be a video of moving teeth because when I open the box, I don't get a video of moving teeth or moving teeth. I get a series of aligners. Those liners change shape over time. And that change in shape over time of aligners is what matches the video. So when I look at a video, I don't think of moving teeth. I think of aligners changing shape. And we'll see how that applies to force systems. As far as the second question is concerned, what do I expect of myself as an orthodontist? My definition of an orthodontist is that there's no one better trained in the world than ourselves to assess a force system applied to teeth and then assess how those teeth will move in response to that force system. So there's really no one better trained than us to look at a force and decide will a tooth do a movement or not according to a force system. And it's those two principles that I'll be presenting today. When we look at Invisalign cases, as you are going to look at a lot of different movements today, we have to think that this does represent orthodontics. And orthodontics is not just straight teeth. And so we still do comprehensive orthodontic diagnosis for our patients. And we measure many, many different factors, which we can't possibly go into today for every case in movement I'll show you. 
But understand that I do this for each patient that we're going to be seeing little parts of. On the bottom, you'll see that aligning upper and lower arches, I just want to bring a tool down here that can help me. Uh, I'm sorry, there it is. At the bottom here, aligning upper and lower arches is not a treatment plan. It is often the goal of treatment, but not how we get there. So when we're moving teeth, we're going to be asking ourselves, are we leveling curvaspe? Are we intruding posterior teeth? We ask ourselves these questions in our orthodontic treatment plans for other patients. Do, am I moving roots? Do I need a virtual gable bend? Will I use class two elastics? Will I use other auxiliaries? We need to do that for our patients because aligning upper and lower arches is not a treatment plan. It's a fantastic treatment objective, but not a plan. A plan is how we're going to get there. So let's look at some of the principles and four systems that we use to align our patients in brackets and wires, and we often level curve of speed or intrude posterior teeth or use a virtual gable bend, but how are we going to see that in the ClinCheck? And then once we know these four systems, when is Invisalign my first choice? What can Invisalign do actually better and more effectively for me today than braces and wires that I actually choose it as my first choice appliance system for patients? That's what I'd like to cover. Let's look at our first one, leveling the curve of speed. We know in orthodontics, when we put a wire into our a reverse curve of speed wire into the posterior brackets of a patient, the six and seven, that wire hangs out in the vestibule way below the lower incisors, and then we raise it and put it into the brackets. But an aligner doesn't slide in from the front of the mouth like a wire. An aligner slides in from the top. So when I think of how does a line, how does the aligner create a force system? I think of inserting my wire from the top into these braces. Well, as that wire is pushed down at the bicuspids to lock into the bicuspid brackets, this wire would push on the occlusal surface of the molars, push on the incisal surface of the incisors, and then it would want to slip off the bicuspids. Of course, if I engage this wire into the bicuspid brackets, I would tell you that the occlusal wings of this bracket is what holds that wire in. In fact, more than the occlusal wings holds the wire onto the bicuspids, but it's actually the gingival surface of the occlusal wings of the bracket that hold the wire on the bys. Otherwise, that wire would slip off the buys. So what happens when I look at a ClinCheck in the top picture of lower incisors intruding, I know that the aligner won't slip off the lower incisors because it's being pushed down on those teeth. So I don't need an attachment on the lower incisors because the incisal edge is a fantastic push surface to push down on the tooth. And if the tooth tried to escape labially, there's a liner in front of it. If it escaped lingually, there's a liner in front of it. So the tooth has to respond by intruding. But of course, the bicuspid 
doesn't have anatomy to hold the aligner on. And that aligner is going to slip off and pop off the bicuspids like this wire. So I put occlusal wings with a gingival surface to lock the aligner in place. And so this is why we have attachments on bicuspids to level our curve of speed. I know many of us have learned this and seen it, but I want to teach that this is not a rule made up by Invisalign, Align, or anybody else. It's just biomechanics. The same things that happen in wires happen in teeth. It's just that it's a different force system and a different way of looking at it. So now it makes sense why we would have attachments on bicuspids with working gingival surfaces to hold the aligner on. And so this is how we leveled this patient who had 110 or 20% overbite and at the end of treatment had a normal overbite. And there was no refinement with 20 or 38 aligners. But it is just the two lower attachments that level that curve of speed. There is no other attachments in the lower arch required. And just like our braces in the slide before, it's the bicuspids that are the main working teeth to hold that wire in place so the intrusion is affected at both ends of the arches. If we go to intruding posterior teeth, and as many of you have heard, this is something I regularly do, I used to intrude posterior teeth with a removable appliance before Invisalign. So it's a removable appliance, and let's look at its features, orthodontist to orthodontist. It has a bite block, a posterior bite block, that gives us anchorage, along with some Adam's clasps on some middle teeth to grab the middle teeth, and the posterior bite block adds to that retention of the upper appliance. The patient is able to bite on it. Then I have an active part of my appliance, which is an elastic that's stretched over the occlusal surface of the second molars. And when that elastic is stretched, it puts an intrusive vector force on the upper molars. Of course, the reaction is extrusion or removal of the appliance, if you want, from the middle teeth, but the bite block and the atoms clasps hold it onto the middle teeth so that the intrusive vector is then placed onto the second molars. And so it's a posterior bite block with retention on the middle teeth and second molars intruding. Well, if we look at a line, and first we can look at this patient here who wore this appliance, and we can see that the posterior teeth were very well intruded by this appliance, and it only takes about four to six months to see this much movement of a posterior tooth with that appliance. So this is intrusion without TADS using a posterior bite block and some retention on middle teeth as the anchorage. Well, if we look therefore at a line, let's look at this clean check and assess it. I have retention on middle teeth with an intrusive vector being placed on the posterior molars. I don't need attachments on the posterior molars because the occlusal surface is very big and acts as an excellent push surface for these teeth. They can't escape buccally or lingually because there's aligners on either side of them and therefore they need to respond by intruding. The reaction would be to extrude these bicuspids 
or push the aligner, pull the aligner off these teeth. Well, the aligner is locked onto these teeth, and in addition, when a patient wears an aligner, there is a posterior bite block effect from wearing aligners because patients bite on the aligner material in their occlusion all day long, 22 hours a day. So the very same force system that used to intrude teeth with a removable appliance for myself, I can get with aligners. And to show how effective that is, here's the patient, and this is her ClinCheck above us, and we can see that she had severely over-erupted molars with no posterior teeth underneath them. And yet we were able to effectively intrude those posterior teeth and the bite block effect is not from the, on the teeth themselves. The bite block effect that's giving the anchorage to maintain the intrusive vectors on the molars is coming from the premolars because there is no teeth underneath the molars during the treatment. And so in this patient that had over-erupted molars with no opposing teeth, we were able to effectively intrude the posterior teeth and the patient was able to get implants underneath and have an adequate occlusal plane for great function and great restorations. So the same four system that we use in traditional orthodontics can work for us in a line and it's no different and we can use our same knowledge system to apply. Let's look at rotation of a mandibular cuspid. This can be a very stubborn thing for many of us, and it can work many times with good attachments. The one thing to watch out for, as I will warn, is the tipped and rotated cuspid. When we look at a pure rotation of a mandibular cuspid, we have to think of an aligner pushing the mesial surface of this tooth, and there's two vectors of force. One vector of force we like, which is that pushing the mesial to the lingual to rotate the cuspid as it should rotate mesial to the lingual. But the second vector of force, because it's pushing on an angled surface, is an intrusive vector. And when we push that intrusive vector, the tooth may respond by intruding, and when it intrudes, it moves away from the aligner material, and then after that, it doesn't need even to rotate because it's no longer in contact with the liner material. And this is what we've seen for many of our triangularly shaped teeth. So in order to negate the intrusive vector, there is an optimized attachment that our software helps us so much with positioning, angle, pre-activated forces, and etc. Do learn about optimized attachments. That what that optimized attachment does for us is produces a second vector of force that is extrusive due to the angle of the attachment. So the push surface for this attachment is this flat surface here. That's the active surface. And because it's ramped in an opposite direction from the ramp of the geography of the tooth, when the vectors of force are analyzed, we're going to get the same rotation that we want. So we have double the rotation, but it cancels out the vertical vector of force from the geography of the tooth. And that's how we have the optimized attachments helping us to rotate a cuspid. 
So if we look at this cuspid that was rotated in four and a half months with some 11, I think, or so aligners, and it works very well. What to note about this cuspid is that it is vertically vertical. It's not tipped. Sometimes our lower cuspids have a root that is tipped distally. And then we're going to be seeing rotation and tip at the same time. And those will be the cuspids that give us more trouble. And I do have solutions for that too, and that basically involves staging your treatment and deciding whether you need to rotate first or tip first and then direct or I call it doctor your clean check. But at this time for a pure vertical cuspid, the rotation attachment is exactly what the doctor ordered or really the software ordered, I might say. Bodily movement of anterior teeth labially. The tooth I like to pick on the most is what I call a lateral incisor movement. We know from our textbooks that the way a lateral incisor moves is there's a center of rotation where the X is in the root, one-third from the apex, about. And then we have a force on a tooth like a labial holly would place on the labial surface of the tooth and the tooth would tip, you know, with the center of rotation staying still and the crown would then tip lingually and even come down off toward, erupt if you want, a relative extrusion and would come down towards the clusal plane. So this is tipping of a lateral incisor. We all know that from 101 orthodontics at school. But what about moving it in the clincheck? And what if we're moving it labially? How will this all look in the clincheck? And since we do often want bodily movement of teeth, we're going to have to discover how to order that in a clincheck. So if we look at a clincheck and a movement of a lateral, bodily movement would see us seeing both the gingival surface of this tooth and the incisal surface of this tooth moving labially at the same amount of distance. If the distance of these two surfaces moves labially equally, then we know that's bodily movement because the apex, which is presented by my red dot right now, would also move labially. But if we see tipping, we're going to see less labial, less labial movement of the gingival point, more labial movement of the incisal point. But if it's tipping, we're going to have to expect the tooth to come off the occlusal plane as well. And so, therefore, it's relative intrusion, and it won't stay on the occlusal plane, as in bodily movement. So, if I look at this clincheck of my own, at the starting stage, we can see the lateral incisor was inset compared to the central and cuspid. At stage 17, I have the tooth moved labially. And if we look in the bottom pictures, where it's blown up bigger, you can see that I might even suggest that the gingival point of this tooth moved more labially than the incisal edge of this tooth moved labially. So if I look at these two lines, I actually feel that the lateral incisor has moved bodily forward, and in a moving clincheck, I could show it's bodily forward with the uh, image, if we want, of the apex probably moving forward as well. And if we look at the blue shadows, we can see it moved labially, as we'd expect. 
And if we look at this shadow here, we can see it is the lingual surface shows you bodily movement of that tooth forward in the clincheck. But because teeth can't watch a clincheck, they can only feel forces. What does the tooth feel from this changing aligner surface? So we check out the force systems, and what we'll find is that there's no push surface on the labial surface. Every time the aligner walks away from the tooth, leaving it room for it to move labially, there's no push surface there. So the entire push surface for this movement is from the lingual. And if only the lingual surface is pushing the lateral incisor labially, we know from our orthodontics that this is going to tip the tooth off the occlusal plane along that point in the center of rotation. So if the lateral incisor moves off the occlusal plane in a tipping motion, which is exactly what I told the tooth to do because I only have a lingual push surface, then I'm going to see non-tracking of that tooth. But that tooth is doing exactly what I'm telling it to do since I'm only pushing it on the lingual. Although I would say the clincheck shows it moving bodily, the tooth doesn't watch the clincheck. It only knows and understands forces, and if you push on it from the lingual only, it will tip and come off the occlusal plane. So to solve this challenge, we know in braces, in order to bodily move a tooth, we use square wires or rectangular wires in rectangular slots of braces. And we do that to create a couple where we can get two points of contact on the tooth. And by two points of contact on the tooth, we're able to create a moment arm, and that's how we create bodily movement. We need two points of contact to create a rotational moment. Whereas tipping, one point of contact is sufficient to create a tipping movement. Well, how will we do that in the clincheck? So we'll use attachments, as you'll soon see in this case in front of us, where we have a lateral incisor with bodily movement, and the patient still has excellent tracking of the tooth and good tracking of the two lateral incisors that are both moving labially, and nothing is non-tracking. But we can see these attachments that provide us with that second force. Let's analyze the force system more closely. If we look at the, the force system, again, we have the lingual surface pushing on the anatomy of the tooth. So that works well for us. But as the tooth moves labially, as we said, it needs a second force system to push downwards or extrude on the labial surface. So our couple, which is the two points of contact, create the moment arm, comes from the lingual surface, has one force, and the labial surface has another. And this way we can bodily move our lateral incisor labially. And you can see from the shadow here of the blue superimposition, or the blue is where it was at stage zero, that the whole lingual surface is in a parallel direction, is moving labially for that one tooth. And so that's how that tooth continues to track, is by having this aligner intimately in contact with the active surface of the extrusive attachment on the lateral incisor, and therefore stays engaged with the lateral incisor, providing a second force that does not allow the tooth 
to non-track and simply tip. So it's not so much that the ClinCheck shows a tooth moving that way, but it's also thinking in our minds, do we have the appropriate anatomy of the tooth to create the force system? And if not, it's our job to create that anatomy and then create a force system for movement. And here's a cuspid in the same situation, moving buccally in a bodily way. So the blue shadow is zero, and the other one is at stage 27, some year later. The cuspid's moving labially, and you can tell it's tracking very well because it has the extrusive labial attachment to provide the second force. So just like a lateral incisor, any buccal movement of any tooth that we don't want to tip requires that second force system. Let's look at translation of a root, mesially or distally. We know again from our textbook in orthodontics that we have moment arms. And if we have a two-wing bracket, we have a wider moment arm, or there's more leverage if it's a single-wing bracket, then it becomes narrower. We can talk about contact angles, and this is how we control root tipping in braces and wires. Well, how are we going to control root tipping of this lateral incisor and this lateral incisor inside our ClinCheck? And you can see here the anterior view and the occlusal view at the beginning of treatment. So once again, if we look at the ClinCheck and think of four systems, we're going to want two points of contact. One point of contact I'm going to provide myself by way of attachment. So this point of contact is the mesial surface of this beveled attachment. And in particular, I'm most interested in the gingival aspect of it, since that's what's going to provide one force system. And the second force system comes from the anatomy of the tooth itself, which is the distal line angle and near the incisal edge that is so rotated out in the vestibule that I know my aligner will contact very well and intimately there. And through those two force systems, I'm able to create the couple to then tip the root distally of the lower left two and the lower right two. Now, what I like to see here in this ClinCheck is this picture here that I'm pointing out is that we're so used to embraces doing what I call rotation leveling alignment and then tip and torque. The disadvantage of rotating this tooth before we tip and torque it is we're going to lose this very effective point of contact. So my suggestion in staging the treatment for these lateral incisors that is in the ClinCheck, the first order of movement will be to tip the roots distally because before the teeth are corrected in rotation, that is my best chance to have the right anatomy and the right force system for which to tip the roots distally. And only later will I rotate the teeth into alignment. So although the goal and the objective, as I said before, is aligned upper and lower arches, it's not our treatment plan. Our treatment plan involves using the appliance system and an appropriate forces to get there. And in this case, rotation correction should be delayed and tip and torque, or at least tip in this particular case, should be applied first. It's not that we can't move other teeth. 
It's just that we shouldn't block ourselves out from this corner of anatomy until that tip is corrected. And so here we can see that this force system and couple led to successful both tipping and alignment of these lateral incisors. And this was treated with 28 aligners and no refinement. So by not just watching the teeth move to the right place, but thinking about four systems, we can refine our ClinCheck better to match what we usually do in braces and wires. But instead of braces and wires, we're going to use geography of teeth and aligners. Let's look at a virtual gable bend. We know, again, it's controlling root tip. It just happens to be that we're going to control root tip of two teeth next to each other. Now, what to notice in this gable bend of this wire is there's a certain amount of overcorrection. We know that, for example, at the end of orthodontic treatment, the picture we might see in the clinic might be the picture on the lower right, where the teeth are straight, parallel, even though the wire has a 15 degree bend in it. So we know that our roots never end up totally expressing what we see in the wire because there is much resistance in the teeth to the force system. So often in orthodontics, we're not expecting teeth to completely express our force system. And we might need to do that in certain situations with the liners as well. Since aligners, like wires, they bend. If I take an aligner in my hands and try to bend it, I can bend it. It has flexibility. And therefore, if there are certain forces in the mouth that I know always put up a big fight in braces and wires, like a gable bend, then I'm going to also have to have exaggeration in my clean check so that my aligner creates the right force system not just straight teeth. So when we look at the force system for, create, for controlling the root tip, as those of you who have heard me before, lower incisors, we want to spread out the teeth, get aligners to touch the teeth in between, and do our gable bend early. But the force system is always thinking of where these arrows have a chance to contact teeth and move the root of this particular lower right central to the left so that we have a gingival force system and the incisal force system, but we have small contacts and et cetera that stay out of the way of our, our aligners. And so that's the force system that we use for a virtual gable bend. You'll also notice overcorrection in the ClinCheck at the end, just like we would have overcorrection in our wire at the end of treatment, so that we have to anticipate that not the teeth will not fully express the force system placed into the dentition. So here you can see this particular case at stage 17, the aligner is made to match this blue and white screen. You don't get teeth from a line, you only get aligners. You put that aligner on the teeth, and it expresses a force system, the teeth don't completely match the force system because they're fighting back and there is slight flexibility. But we know from braces that in order to gable bend a tooth, we exaggerate the movement, and so too, we have to exaggerate the movement in the aligners 
to get an adequate parallel surface. And that exaggeration has to last until the end of the ClinCheck, just as often lasts till the end of our treatment with braces and wires. And so here is the parallelism of this particular case at the end of treatment using that philosophy. And here's an x-ray of yet another lower incisor case with exaggerated gable bend and root tips. And notice that the root tip is early because just like the rotation story of the lateral incisors, although in braces we would see the spaces on either side of this space close before I put in my gable bend wire, but for aligners, the best time to do the gable bend is when the tooth is isolated. And so there's much to teach about extraction cases and gable bends. But again, if we think of four systems, anatomy and geography, everything falls into place and we can stage our ClinCheck appropriately. Now, in this particular case, the teeth are already together and there's inadequate parallelism of the two roots. And we were able to pick this up with two attachments, labial and lingual. I share it with you because I hadn't done it before, but I decided I'd give it a try for this patient. And so among other things we're doing on the top for a very particular patient, he didn't want me to treat the lower arch, but I did. And so I did it, and even in this case where all the force system, we no longer have the anatomy of the teeth to help us. The force system is totally isolated only on the attachments. That's the only effective possible place for vectors to work for us is labial and lingual attachments. And we ordered this ClinCheck with more parallelism in those two roots. And this is the movement of those teeth by wearing those aligners. So even in that case, where we've already rotated the teeth and closed the interproximal spaces, we're able to move the roots together. Now, we do have G4 optimized attachments that have been introduced in the software for us for some root movements. These are not ones that we can order ourselves and just simply say, please place a G4 on this tooth or that tooth. It is software generated depending on the movements and for specific movements and specific limitations. And there can be a whole presentation on the G4 attachments, and there are some that we should all listen to and learn. However, I offer it because I am seeing these attachments show up in my ClinChecks for teeth, and it is exactly what we've been talking about so far. If we used to have a vertical attachment here with two vectors of force on either side of it, as pictures I showed earlier, what the software is saying to us is, well, if we're only interested in the top of the rectangle in one spot and the bottom in the rectangle in another spot, why not take away the middle and put the two attachments on the teeth in an anatomy best suited for the force and vector system. So I think these G4 attachments totally apply to what I've been using so far, and I hope to see good things from them. Of course, they've been in my patient's mouth for three or four months, as for your patients, and we'll have to wait till we can have some finished cases with them, but I certainly do enjoy putting them on. They're more aesthetic, 
and they are set up to succeed just as the other larger and more difficult to work with attachments were. Let's look at how class two elastics work compared to braces and wires. So there's going to be two cases we'll show here. One is going to be segmental distalization. And for those of you who've seen before, my usual way was to use some kind of pre-invisalign distalizer to open up spaces in the maxilla. And then, in a kind of a two by ten or two teeth at a time, move teeth backwards and support the treatment with class two elastics. So if we watch or look at the series of clinchacks, at the beginning there's lots of space in the maxilla, and then slowly we're moving the fives and then the fours back. Once the fives and the fours come back, then we can move the cuspids back, align anteriors, and then eventually retract the incisors. And all of this movement, of course, taxes our anchorage on our molars, and we would support it with class two elastic support. Now, how that works in wires and braces is really exactly the same. If I was doing this case in braces and I was in the middle of retracting the premolars, I might have a power chain that runs from an upper seven to the upper four. And of course, I'm using the sevens that have been distalized, six and seven, to retract the bicuspids or the four at this stage in the clincheck. But I know that taxes my anchorage. So in order to save my anchorage, I'll put a stopped arch in with an omega loop in front of the six, and then a soldered hook or a circle on the wire in front of the cusp, between the cuspid and lateral. And then on the other side of the arch wire, we have an exact copy of this. So the wire is stopped from molar to molar on the other side with a soldered hook or circle on the wire. As the molars would want to respond by coming forward, as the bicuspid is being retracted by power chain, we would hold that anchorage by placing a class two elastic to the lower arch. And this is exactly what's happening when we're ordering a clincheck with segmental distalization and using class two elastics to support it. And so this case was treated in just that way with first the molars being distalized with a pre-invisalign appliance and then distalizing one or two teeth at a time until we could retract and treat the class two deep bite into a successful result. Another way to approach a class two treatment would be to have continuous staging and a bite jump. In this patient, we're going to, that has a very short ramus and a high angle, what we're going to do in the clincheck is order two sets of aligners that simply derotate the molars and create nice arch forms. So before we have very narrow arches with protrusion and rotated molars, at the end of clincheck, we have better arch form on the top and bottom as if these two sets of teeth were placed into continuous superelastic wires that aligned and coordinated the arches. Now, without any class two elastics, the patient's going to have overjet, as would be expected in any class two case. If they wear enough elastics to distalize the maxilla or bring the mandible or the teeth forward, we could call it, so 
alveolar bending for the for a uh, quick way of saying it, we may get an ideal overjet overbite. Or the patient could have jaw surgery. There's a number of different ways to get from this result to this result. But what we're going to want to see is that during the ClinCheck, which takes about 18 or 20 aligners or 40 weeks to effect, the patient will wear elastics and we're going to see how much overjet they have left by the time this alignment has taken place. So instead of segmental elastics or distalization, it is a straight continuous alignment of the teeth with a bite jump at the end of ClinCheck to represent the effect of the class two elastics during the alignment. And so this patient wore elastics for a total of up till stage 15. But here are progress pictures at stage 9 with excellent fit of the aligners and a posterior open bite of all things in a patient that had overjet in class 2 elastics in a short ramus. And I believe this posterior open bite is from the very effective vertical control that the aligners supply us with. And so the patient had no overjet at stage 9. And at stage 15, they still had no overjet. So we stopped elastics till stage 21. And at stage 21, the bottom pictures here, there's still a slight posterior open bite, no overjet overbite to have, and some very minor refinement to do. So the patient wore elastics only from stage 3 to 15, which is a total of six months, and that was enough to take away the overjet that is represented by this bite jump. So that's about a three or four millimeter class two correction in six months of con continuous staging in the ClinCheck and elastics. So here is the assessment of this treatment and it's a total of 21 plus four refinement aligners in the maxilla, only wore the 18 aligners in the mandible and treatments finished in nine visits. It's a much faster, better treatment for those who will cooperate than the segmental distalization. Each orthodontist has to ask themselves where they're comfortable and at what amount they will correct a class two with just this bite jump. But certainly I've now, in all my three, four millimeter class twos, I am using elastics and seeing tremendous success, just as in this case, with the patients who wear it. And I think much has to do with that vertical control that we'll talk about later in this course today. Finally, we can get to what are some of the principles we might see in a ClinCheck for bicuspid extractions. And it is difficult to cover this very deep area, but a few principles we can apply. One is that with bicuspid extractions, we know we're going to have to take care of root parallelism and a gable bend. Another is torque and how to apply torque in the front of the mouth. And when we look at torque and we look at all the things that are going to happen in a bicuspid extraction case, we know that we have to control posterior tooth tipping, curve of Wilson, class one, class two corrections. There are many, many things that go on in each bicuspid extraction case. And this is why so many of them end up with braces. I might call it ear to ear. There's a lot of force systems being generated and controlled when we're doing such a complex treatment. Let's look
look at a couple of these four systems. One error we can fall into is if I have a ClinCheck that shows my class 2 case where I've taken out upper bicuspids, the molars are hardly moving during the ClinCheck and all of the movement is to retract the anteriors and bring them into place, but the molars aren't moving. I might make the mistake and say to myself that since only the anterior teeth are moving, I won't need attachments on the posterior teeth and only the anterior teeth need attachments because the posterior teeth aren't moving. But remember, that's only in the ClinCheck. Are the posterior teeth getting a force? Well, my answer to that question is we know as orthodontists that for every force there's an opposite equal force on the anchorage. So as I retract these anteriors, there is a mesial force being applied to all these posterior teeth, despite the fact that the ClinCheck isn't moving, but the aligners are getting shorter. And remember, the teeth can't watch the ClinCheck. They don't know that the aligners are getting shorter and only the anterior teeth are supposed to move. There's a mesial force on the molars and they will tip forward. And I liken it to, would I only put an anterior wire in this patient and expect these teeth to retract and then just put buttons on the molars to retract the teeth but with no wire going through it and a power chain? I would never do that as an orthodontist. I know that the anterior teeth and the posterior teeth need control of root tipping, whether I have pure anchorage or not, or whether I want pure anchorage or not. So there's a difference between what we might want but versus what the teeth will feel. And so often in bicuspid extractions, even if the posterior teeth aren't moving, we're going to need attachments on many, many teeth, even though they're not moving in order to keep them upright, help the anchorage, and avoid the tipping and rotation that so often occurs in our molars. So it is possible to treat bicuspid extractions, but just as we have torque control, curve of speed control, posterior teeth tipping control, curve of Wilson control, gable bends, we often have braces on all the teeth, we're going to have to control all of those four systems in a bicuspid extraction case, despite what the ClinCheck shows as teeth moving or not moving. But it can be done and it can be successfully done. So this is a bicuspid extraction, upper bicuspid extraction case, and it was treated in 44 aligners with then a refinement of 18 aligners. So that's a total of about uh, 50, 60, 62 aligners. So just around two years or even over two years, but a difficult enough case. And then this is another bicuspid extraction and has a lot of torque control to uh, be able to teach exactly what happens for this young lady. And without going into the details today, but it is possible, you can see how many attachments we use in the maxilla. Then we had power ridges in the beginning to help our torque, and then we had attachments to continue placing those teeth into the best possible place. And a successful result, and for those of you concerned about her lip profile, this is her lips at the beginning, and this is her lips at the end. So even difficult cases can be managed with Invisalign as long as we think of in four systems. And when I talk about effective 
orthodontics, I talk about trying to always work smarter, not harder, and to be able to take this case with no refinement, no repairs, and in a total of 43 upper aligners, that is efficient, effective orthodontics, makes me and my patients very, very happy. So if I go backwards a little bit and take us to those first two questions, what does the ClinCheck plan really represent to us as orthodontists? My belief is that Invisalign is treatment plan software is not a video of moving teeth. It is a video of changing inner surfaces of aligners that will push on teeth. The response of the tooth will depend on many factors, including the angle of the tooth at that surface, the stiffness of the liners in that area, the anatomy of the teeth, the point of application of the force relative to the center rotation of the tooth. It sounds complicated, but what's nice is, what do I expect myself as an orthodontist? Well, I view the ClinCheck as a video of forces to be placed upon teeth. And I know, taking the knowledge and experience I have with wires, braces, as a force system to move teeth, I apply that same knowledge to a treatment plan the patients in Invisalign. So it's actually not that hard because we're the best trained as orthodontists to assess this. The software may help us, but we're still trained better than anyone in the world to figure out how teeth respond to forces. Furthermore, there are clinical advantages to the Invisalign system in certain situations that make it my first choice. And that's what I'd like to share at this time is, when is Invisalign my first choice? So, the first is for posterior control. I've often asked, is this case a class two or class one? Well, it is dental alveolar class one, but skeletal class two. And if we put a bite plane into this patient, we're gonna be chasing the mandible with elastics and fighting our overjet overbite as the mandible rotates backwards. And so here one year later, this patient is level and much more aligned, not quite finished treatment, but there's not been one elastic to get this treatment because of that vertical control that there's no posterior extrusion during all this leveling and aligning. And that can be a great advantage. And it's that same advantage that plays for us in a class two elastics case. Because in class two elastics in this case, we get the vertical vector to the posterior teeth that extrude the teeth. But if we have an aligner as a posterior bite block all the time, that vertical vector is negated and the elastic is working us in a completely horizontal direction. But it is the same principle of the enhanced posterior vertical control of aligners that I like better than braces. Of course, for this case, to treat with braces alone, intruding posterior teeth without opposing teeth, well, that's going to be with TADS and very, very heavy-handed orthodontic time in the clinic. Whereas I like to work smarter, not harder. I do a good clin-check clin treatment plan on the computer, and I have very little to do in the clinic to affect this posterior intrusion. And finally, those of you who know that I use the same posterior control to close open bites without anterior extrusion and all posterior intrusion. So that's my first area of first choice of aligners. 
Another area is in some deep bite cases where I want to avoid multiple repairs is in the 120% overbite. Or other cases where there's a lot of restorative dentistry and materials that I'd rather not bond to. And I don't want to move certain sections of teeth like bridge work and crowns and bridges that I'm able to then just lock up posterior teeth and do very little movement while anterior teeth can do a lot of movement. In other cases, in periodontal cases where we want to absolutely avoid the labial movement of teeth, we can pick which teeth move first and second and then later stage the movement of our careful teeth so we never move this lower right cuspid buccally since it already has recession. And by moving it lingually, we can improve the gingiva and assure our periodontist that we never move that tooth buccally. And it's the same in this periodontal case here, that we're able to treat and keep excellent hygiene to during the treatment and assure the periodontist that these cuspids will never move buccally during the treatment and actually prove that they will move lingually at the end of treatment. As with this case that had recession from the beginning because the patient lived with those cuspids so far out, but then being able to treat this with a line completely is a great benefit to our profession. And for hygiene purposes, I think the hygiene with the liners is amazing for our patients who have any periodontal concerns, the ability to always take out their aligners, floss, brush, fluoride, rinse, whatever they want. They can keep excellent hygiene throughout treatment. So these are my first choices, cases for Align, and those I think are going to expand as time goes on and we see more and more software developments as well as our own development in thinking of forces instead of teeth moving in a video. We'll be able to enhance and work smarter, not harder. I hope I've been able to show many of you that looking at that moving video as force factors makes you comfortable because this is what we do with our braces and wires all day long. And now we can just do that on a computer instead of in the mouth and continue to work smarter, not harder, and apply our same knowledge that we've had of brackets and wires to aligners. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Danny. We look forward to seeing you on another ASI Expert program. Thanks very much.